So shall I start? It's good for me. I'm talking to you, Drew. Start away, Bushra. Okay. So hello, I'm Bushra, and Hi. I <laughs> and I am developing a Web3 platform for creative journaling. The first incarnation has been an immersive magazine called It's a Wild.World, and now I'm turning it into a framework for all creatives. Drew, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you. Hi, hi Bushra. Hi folks. Uh, my name is Drew Lawson and I'm a, a somato, somatic psychotherapist, excuse me, and I'm a community builder and ecologist and I work kind of at the intersections of ecology, sustainability, um, personal development, uh, well-being, um, and I use mediums such as yoga and breathwork, freediving, and working with erotic energy and um, and tree planting and coral growing to try and weave all these things together in a kind of an integrated way that humans can be we can be well within ourselves well within community and and well with the planet that's that's great and how did we meet do you remember well you said something earlier on like an, an chance accident i don't remember all i know is that one day i didn't know you and the next day we were running a business together <laughs> It was a bit, yeah. I think I was, uh, I was at People Tree, which is a fair trade uh, fashion company, and I was organising some event. And then you guys were there as well, and we were talking. And then you were like, "Oh, why don't you come and join our company?" I don't think you told Gav because he didn't like talk to me because he was a bit like, "Who the fuck are you?" Sorry, for swearing <laughs> for a couple of days. <laughs> Good, you've just given you... me permission to use use all of my colourful language. Thanks very much, B. <laughs> I'm setting the tone high today. Right, Drew. love it. Um, yeah. So, so you're you're implying that I headhunted you from People Tree. I don't think it was quite that uh, strategic. Um, no, you did not headhunt me. We had like one conversation, uh, and you said, "Do you want to come and work for us or something? We it. need some." It was a great move. We definitely needed a Bushra-shaped um, <laughs> colleague, and it was epic. And you know, and now you and Gav have an amazing relationship. In fact, you've done one of these before, haven't you, together? Yeah, I was going to invite you to the next one, but then I thought this is like the Lawson Brothers show. Huh. <laughs> and then I said to Gav, "So, true, <laughs> you know, his his like sex, drugs, and rock and roll." And Gav's like, "Yeah, but without the rock and roll." Yeah, well, you know, 20 years ago it was sex, drugs and rock and roll and now because I'm old and my bones hurt, it's tantra and plant medicine and probably gong music, gong baths. So It was, used to be sex, drugs and drum and bass, so let's be honest. Yeah, so it all started because you were at uh, Hull University and you wrote an essay about, what was it, hemp production? I did, yeah, The Politics and Ecology of Cannabis Hemp, I think it was called, that was my dissertation. And and that that was the beginning of the journey. And even when I was like every week, you'd have a different sustainability idea, or you'd come across something, you know, really big ideas. I think you brought over some electric bikes before electric bikes were that popular. In the was that right? I remember it was it was just me and Tesla really back in two thousand and ten. That's not we had I had a few epic pedal electrics, but um yeah, we all, I was 
working with a brand called Zero Motorcycles from California. And I had a little showroom randomly in South Kensington. God know how I blagged that one. And, um, and the Tesla showroom was just around the corner. So, yeah, we spent a couple of fun years racing Teslas and Zero Motorcycles up and down Kensington and Pall Mall together. Um, and then 10 years later, they're a thing. They're a thing. And yeah. there was another time, I can't, I went to that, did I go to that farm? You know, when they were like doing the hemp farm? Yeah, 100 acres in, in uh, Hastings, in Battle, just outside of Hastings. I can't remember, I feel like, did I actually Brief. accompany you or did I just? BBC um, made a film, no, Channel 4 made a film about us, didn't they? Squeeze Productions and oh, yeah, we, that... we went off to all the production facilities. It was an Australian family that thought they'd invented or at least um, were telling us that they'd invented like the Schlitten decorticator, this uh, reinvented this machine that was designed to make hemp way more um, economic to harvest and process, which was um, the machine that George Schlitten invented, patented, I think, in 1917. And then um, and then the response to that from interests that were um, set to lose out from the from the um, economical processing of hemp suddenly like used their power and influence uh, to then introduce the marijuana tax act um, which then made cannabis and hemp illegal to cultivate and pave the way really for um, sort of the illegality of cannabis and the removal of hemp as a as a the, the mainstream crop in the world really for a number of years I mean there were other factors involved but it was a big power play to remove cannabis from the market and fibers and the building materials and the cannabis seed oil and all these bits and pieces so that was we were very much like we were a pretty political company i mean thdc still is but it was definitely um it was definitely a, like a, a there was a lot of energy in it um when i was at university and when we were trying to work for legalization of hemp and sustainability of clothing and organic cotton and sustainable viscose bamboo and so on but i definitely enjoyed the extra energy that came from the politicization and also the um, the huge impact of removing hemp from the marketplace that it had um, on the environment because it increased uh, the harvesting of trees for pulp paper. Um, it meant that we it was one of the influences on why we turned so sharply into petroleum oil. Um, there's you know there are so many great sustainable benefits from cultivating hemp as a bast fiber and as a um, cellulose product for building and paper and so on. So. Yeah, um, there was a lot of kind of there was a lot of energy in it for us, and that was always my my gig. Right, I wanted to be a marine biologist all my uh, through my teens, and then when I got politicised around hemp, um, I kind of let go of the marine biology. Fortunately, I'm getting back into it now with my um, free diving and work around that. But um, yeah, there we had it, and THDC is 20 years old now, and um, I left uh, about 12 years ago and went into um, electric vehicles for a start and then um, work with youth rights of passage and so on and and we've just reconnected for the first time in the last couple of years having not really been in touch but you've stayed with THTC and you've been doing all these epic web 3.0 bits and bobs and all of your fashion and uh, your design projects so it's oh. good to come back and meet you here yeah um so when was the last time I saw you Drew oh dear Oh dear, it's got to be like a decade. It's a, it probably has been a decade, Bushra. Jesus. I try and avoid London as best I can these days. 
I thought you were going to say, I, I try and avoid you. No, sure. <laughs> Nonsense. I just can't afford to hang out in the same place as you do these days. Oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> and then, so, okay. So this whole sort of ecology and would you say transformation or is it more like centering yourself or being closer to nature or what, like, what, how does it relate to, I don't, the free diving and the marine biology. Okay. That relates. Is that the link? Mm. Ecology. Uh, how does free diving link to sustainability? Is that your question? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Um, well, Hmm. Uh, like my my whole life i've i've kind of pendulumed between i've always been like ecologically minded i've wanted to find ways that um collectively we can live in a in something like a more harmonious and sustainable way with the planet right i was turned on to this idea of one planet living uh, many years ago and how much resource humans um humans use and how unsustainable our impact on the planet is i mean that became really clear to me as a as a snorkeler in my you know in my childhood in my preteens when I was already seeing the impact of seemingly human impact on the coral reefs and uh, and the wildlife and the fish the marine species when I was snorkeling um, and um, watched a lot of nature programs and documentaries growing up and also my mother introduced me to yoga at a really young age and from yoga I got into well I was also getting into martial arts I got into meditation and kind of health and well-being um, practices in my early teens. Um, and as an adult, like it always felt like there was a piece of work for us to do internally, for humans to do around um, like internal wellness. And then there was a piece of work for us to do collectively, like how could we set up communities um, in a more sustainable way. And then there was something for us to do around our relationship with and to the earth um so i took all of those questions into um my politics and ecology degree at um at Hull university um but also like into some of my other inquiries into my my yoga practices my meditation practices into my activism um into my conversations with with colleagues into uh working with plant medicines in my early 20s um yeah, would you say that because your activism is is a lot more kind of chilled out you know, you work closely directly with people, um, connect with people, whereas, say, you know, mm. THTC and GAV, it's more, uh, you know, obviously it's on the T-shirt. Mm. It's a sort of a different way of channeling or distributing that activism. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, THC was born directly out of um, a drunk French policeman holding a gun to my face. Um, and I got very... Um, angrily active from that point in fact I'd, i've had guns held to my guns held to my face twice by different police in europe um while for doing things that um none of which were uh unethical and i've also been like beaten black and blue in a couple of protests in london uh 20 or so years ago and i found myself doing like being and you know i was um i was as um angry as uh, THTC represented uh, our sentiments back in the day, um, but I was—I did get into this kind of uh, idea. It felt to me that as I went on protests and I was trying to be active in the streets, that there was just, there was a kind of an increasing sense of I would be more useful if I was back at my desk 
working on the things that I was trying to birth into the world rather than be in the streets. And so like that has changed for me. I've got less angry, I suppose, or at least I've channeled, I think I've channeled my energy in a different way. Um, but so in terms of this, like, I want to go back to the question you asked me, because in terms of like my personal practice, I've looked at, I've, and I've been involved in a number of different kind of, um, spiritual or well-being lineages. And those include yoga, several different kinds of yoga. They include several different martial arts practices. They include, um, Tibetan Buddhist, uh, practices and, um, for passion and meditation lineages. And, um, and in all of these different uh, kind of well, um, personal energy cultivation practices I've done, they all seem to have a common ground of building the capacity to sit with sensation without turning away from it, being able to hold greater sensation, whether it's um, greater pleasure or whether it's greater discomfort. And um, can yeah. I ask you something about that? It, sure. Does it does it leave an imprint? I don't understand the question. That sense that if you sit with the sensation, does it leave a mark? Well, uh, does it leave a mark? I mean, some some of these teachers would say that um, our bodies carry and and hold vibrational memory. And some teachers would say that we're all made of vibration and we will hold imprints of other vibrations. Some of the tantric um, or neo-tantric schools I've practiced in will say that um, we hold the vibrations of uh, of our sexual partners for a number of years inside our body. Um, various people that work with trauma often say that the trauma is held in the body, in the fascia, like um, tightness or closure in the body is held energetically in in various tissues. So, um, so they would say yes, and I would probably agree with them, although I don't know enough about the vibrational architecture of of body composition to know if it's uh if it's quite like that but it but in terms of building the capacity i mean strong sensation leaves imprints strong experiences leave imprints if i if i scan back through my life i remember the big experiences probably more clearly than i remember the subtle experiences um you can feel deeply you can feel quite uh, sort of impacted by subtle experiences, I guess as well. Yeah. I guess I'm not defining what what a big like big sensation is. What I think I'm trying to say with this is that um, is that we live. I believe we live in a world, and certainly I I live in a world where I my attention is increasingly being distracted or attempting mm -hmm. to be distracted, whether it's by social media or shopping or the next pretty car or the next bit pretty house or the next pretty person or there's a lot of there's a lot of brands and products and things vying for my attention and like in meditation i've been meditating now for 35 years in my meditation practice um my mind regularly wants to go elsewhere wants to go into the future wants to go into the past wants to think about something that i should be doing or could be getting or could be experiencing like ways of taking myself out of the present moment. And, you know, I've worked in, uh, I've worked with addicts and recovering addicts. I've been through 12 step programs myself and a lot of, um, a lot of addiction and compulsion are ways of behaviors that are to avoid the discomfort in the present moment in the body, I believe. 
and numbing out in terms of trauma is a way of uh, insulating ourselves from the discomfort of the body. So, and the more we consume, like all the things that we're being offered to consume as ways to numb ourselves or change our state from sitting with the sensations in the body are often drawing on resource of the planet, all the shoes, all the shopping, all the t-shirts, all the new clothes, all the stuff in the high street. They have a, a burden in terms of the a resource footprint on the planet. So in like the spiritual practices that seem to guide us back to sitting with our capacity to hold sensation in the body, sits out and kind of if we can get more comfortable being with what is and moving, leaning into what is in the body, we have less of a need to distract ourselves by consuming and therefore we have a less of a consumption burden on the planet. So as we do our internal work, if that's our path, then we also have a knock-on effect of, of using less resource. So um, as within, so, so outside really. And so there was a link there between um, kind of personal spiritual practices as I've found them described in the paths I've walked on and living a more sustainable life. So that's the link. That's great. And, thank yeah. you. Free, so freediving bridges that for me because freediving is um, so. So in tantra, for example, often some of the sexual tantric practices are about being able to sit with sensations that we may describe as pleasure, pleasurable sensations, without perhaps uh, you know in some neo tantric practices it's, it's being able to hold strong pleasure without ejaculating or without having what some people call a peak orgasm or without having to run towards any particular goal or in some of the kind of the more ordeal path practices it's about sitting with the sensation i mean even like sacred tattooing or piercings or fire walking or a number of ordeal or fasting for a long time or being on solo retreats in nature or spending a week in the dark which i've done or spending 10 days in vipassana 10 hours a day sitting in the same position often these are practices of staying with discomfort and sensation and um the sensation isn't pleasure and pain and not on separate dials like a bass and treble on a stereo they're often um they're really one dial it's like sensation on a volume dial so if we build if we're able to sit with stronger discomfort then we're also able to sit with greater comfort greater pleasure and vice versa so for, for much of my life, I was trying to turn up the pleasure and turn down the discomfort. And um, and gradually I realized that that was an impossible task. It's only, am I prepared to feel more? And then I get to feel full spectrum more of it. Um, it's not, I want more of that feeling and less of that feeling, because that is always, as you know, Buddhism kind of describes, we're running towards something and away from something else. And that is the path to suffering, so the Buddha said. Mm. I, I, I'm having to think about, like, I'm digesting this right now, so I'm like, hmm. Mm. <laughs> so so while, can, while, yeah. while you digest that, if I just mm -hmm. say a little bit about the free dive experience, if I may. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, there are some things to talk about in terms of the what we call the mammalian dive reflex in the body that remembers um, when we used to be ocean-born mammals and kicks in some physiological responses. But essentially, the free dive experience is holding i hold my breath i dive down a rope and i either fin kick with fins or with feet or pull myself down the rope at greater depth clearing the pressure in my ears and as i go deeper down the rope the water pressure gets stronger on my body 
the uh, the urge to breathe gets stronger in my body and the amygdala in the back of my brain is increasingly telling me that I'm a bit mad and I should probably return to the surface. So what I mean by all of that is that there's increasing discomfort. And yet in order to dive deeper and in order to hold my breath longer and to consume less oxygen, what I need to do is consciously relax against those sensations of discomfort. I need to keep softening my body. I need to keep relaxing my body, keep finding the places, the muscular tension in my neck, in my shoulders, in my diaphragm, in my hips, to soften, to soften, to soften, to relax the tension so I consume less oxygen, so I can dive deeper, so I can drop further down into the depths. And so it's as the discomfort increases, I turn towards it and I relax into it. And that for me is the is essentially the goal of almost all the spiritual paths, of all the spiritual paths I've come into contact with. It's about relaxing into the sensations. And then I turn around when I finally, my body makes a kind of a conscious decision to turn around. I turn around and as slowly and as gently as I, as is sensible, I return to the surface. Because again, if I start rushing for the surface, then I start panicking, tensing up, burning more oxygen, risking uh, doing myself some injury. So it's relaxed down the line into discomfort, relax back up the line into the pleasure of the expansion, the release from the pressure of the water pressure, the moving up into more warmth, moving up into more light, and eventually breaking and breaking the surface and taking some breaths and having a the somatic experience of um, of coming out of the free dive. So it's a very, in my world, it's a very beautiful, pure and clean and spiritual practice of somatically relaxing into the discomfort and returning from the discomfort back into relaxation so how do you how far do you go <laughs> the the two questions i get asked most often when people um are talking to me about freediving are how long can i hold my breath and how deep can i go and my answers are long enough and deep enough okay um I, I dive, I dive deep enough to have all of these experiences. Uh, just over 40 meters is my current personal best. That's amazing. You know, because you've got a retreat coming up and um, we can leave that till the end or you can talk about it now. Sure. Well, I mean, I think I've probably just talked about it. I mean, 40 meters is deeper than a beginner and it's still well off. I mean, it's probably 35 or 40% of record holder depths now. So I'm, I'd consider myself somewhere between advanced beginner and intermediate in diving um and it astonishes me that people can dive within the disciplines i practice to 120 130 meters and um and yeah i do i hope i'll dive deeper and i also i found some of the most profound experiences i have are doing what we call hangs at 10 meters which is just preparation dives to to stimulate um or to engage the mammalian dive reflex so there are some different stages of the of the um, free dive experience, which have their own kind of rewards to be harvested. But a lot of the juicy goodness is available under thirty meters. And on my first ever day free diving, I was they took me to twenty meters pretty simply. So, excuse me, it's um once you learn the techniques and once the body gets in the water and the mammalian dive reflex kicks in which like i say is this physiological memory of when we used to be waterborne mammals 
Um, so the heart rate halves, uh, blood shifts in from the limbs into the thorax and abdomen. Um, the spleen releases a bunch more blood into the body and more blood moves into shifts into the lungs to protect the lungs from the pressure. So with all of that concentration of and increase of blood and slowness of heart rate, we burn oxygen much, much more slowly or we use oxygen much more slowly. So our capacity to hold our breath and go deep increases many, many fold um, without us having to do any sort of high level fitness or master any pranayamic breath techniques. So it's accessible to everyone is what I'm trying to say, because the body kicks in these responses. We don't have to train ourselves in the same way. And I, training I find us it really, because like I have, um, I have done scuba diving, but I have had panic attacks as I've gone in. But then, you know, they're like the dive master's just taken my hand and then, and it's been fine. And some of it's, uh, it's more agoraphobia in the sea. Hmm. I feel very, very insignificant. And, um, uh, but then I think that kind of turned into more, oh, I'm scared to put my head underwater. Uh, and then I had some lessons with a, um, this guy in Soho and he actually taught me to um, like hold kind of like swim underwater for most of the length of the pool mm. so that increased my confidence and uh so that was good but then but it's not natural like you know i've been doing this while swimming and open water swimming and um if i can help it i won't put my head underwater which is taking like a lot of the experience away of it because mm. some people mm. just dive bomb straight in and mm -hmm. I, I'm like, oh, I don't want my face to get wet, which is mm -hmm. ridiculous because I love swimming. Well, there's kind of a, a transition though, Bushra, right? There's, um, and I mean, I like it's. It feels unnatural to us, for those of us who who like spent most of our life living on land, to to get into this place that is, you know, clearly not our defined habitat. I mean, mm -hmm. we have lungs, not gills, and so on. So, so there is a kind of a transition to get from dry land into underwater and scuba diving i mean there, there is this kind of like thing between scuba divers and free divers often i spent many years of my life scuba diving before i started free diving mm -hmm. um or at least on a line and um but the experience of scuba diving for me and this is you know, I've, I've heard this from others as well is a little bit like being a a tourist underwater or a strap on all of this equipment got these like quite burdensome stuff although it's yeah. it gets lighter underwater and it's but it still feels like i scare a number of the fish and it's just it feels kind of clunky it feels like i'm not in my habitat when the mammalian mm. dive reflex kicks in i i feel like an ocean mammal and it's really hard to explain but i just feel like it's okay and i'm in a natural space down there and my experience is that um fish and mammals respond differently to me underwater i've free dived with sharks off south africa i free dived with dolphins in egypt and in the mediterranean turtles in turkey i mean with a number of big mammals and um and fish and reptiles and there's just a just a very different response there's kind of an acceptance um in both directions when I'm free diving that I don't have the same experience of scuba diving. And yeah. I, I believe that you would, you would find a much, um, a much uh, more gentle kind of more relaxed way about you if you were to practice with the breath holds. Um, and, you know, I watched yours when I was seven and I used to freak <laughs> the hell out 
when I was, you know, I, I was fine when I was going in like swimming in the med and as a kid and they would have those little floaty, like little marking out the swimming areas. And yeah, they just float on the surface. There was nothing like underwater. I'd, when I was swimming on the beach side of those markers, I'd be happy as Larry. Soon as I was on the other side, there was definitely mm -hmm. an orca or a great white or a giant squid just about to drag me under. You know, and yeah. it's, a, it's a mental thing, you know. And that amazing person you work with in um in Soho and the good teachers will help you just relax and soften into the experience, and then. And we start to see it's just the fears of the mind. It's the amygdala that kicks in and, and it's just trying to keep us safe. It's trying to keep us alive. But it's, you know, it's calling on fears that it's either remembering from the past or making up rather than the experience of, hey, we're just quite happy here in the present moment floating around in the water. So when I, when I think about freediving, say going down to 40 metres, I'm like, but what if at that 40 metre point, you do have a panic attack, but however, you could drown in like under one meter if you have, you mm -hmm. know, like that. That's the worst fear, isn't it? Catastrophizing, but it's not the forty meter point. You could do that anyway. Yes, and forty meters probably sounds super deep to someone who hasn't dived to forty meters. Um, but you know, I've done a hundred dives to go from you know one meter to forty meters. And I know I still I turn back a number of times. Some like if I was to dive tomorrow, I might just dive to ten meters. Depends how my ears are. Depends how my head mm. is. Depends you know how much. Depends what I've eaten that day or these last few days. How much yoga I've done and stretching. So we can. I think all of this is about attunement to our relate to being able to feel more, as you were saying at the beginning of, of our conversation, to feel more of the sensitive to of the subtle sensations in the body. So it's just attunement. So I never go out there going, okay, I was about to tell a little white lie then. I may have a target depth in my mind when I go out to dive, but I hold it very loosely. Um, and actually that I turn towards, I'm diving as deeply as my body wants to dive today. And I like if I try and force it, I'm just going to blow an eardrum or two. Yeah. Or, so it, it can't be forced. I can have a bit of a goal and we go out there and we say, Right, we'll set the meet, set the rope to 10 meters for warm-up dives, drop it to 20 meters for a, a little deeper. Should we go to 25? Should we go to 30? And then each each dive, it's like, how am I feeling? How's the body? What are the sensations? What's my head doing? How's the water today? You know, and then we can go into sort of like you know, some kind of more sort of woo-woo esoteric stuff, like does does the water want me to dive today? Like how how much are my internal rhythms syncing with the with the rhythms of the water today? Are those thoughts that you're actually thinking? Yeah, often. I mean, I'm trying to, but these are um, these are kind of thoughts that increasingly I'm trying to be sensitive to in every moment of my day. Like, how am I feeling today? How am I feeling in the environment around me today? Whether I'm in my office or whether I'm walking down, taking the, the cats for a walk. I, I have to walk my mother's cats twice a day at the moment. Um, it's like, how am I? How am I feeling? What's what are the sensations in my body like in this moment? And how am I feeling in relationship to my environment? I walk into a club or a gathering or a workshop or a yoga class, and increasingly, I'm trying to use my sensitivity to feel the space. And we, like we all do that all the time, right? We go into a club. Like, what's the vibe in the club? Am I? Is it a good vibe? Is it a good? Is it a good vibe in this bar in this club? Do I want to hang out? Is, yeah. Am I? Am I? Is it a good vibe with this person? So, you know, in the same way, is it a good vibe with the ocean today? 
And then you sort of articulate it, but have there been times where you've just gone, I'm just, it's not a good vibe, I'm not going to do it? There have been times when I've gone out, had three little dives and gone back in again. Just gone, today is not the day. And yes, some of that might be the water and some of that might have been a shitty email or text message conversation I'd had that morning before I'd come out or a number of other reasons. But it's, it's again, cultivating capacity to listen to the bodily sensations and some days I can they can dissolve and I can be with it and other days I need to move it and other days the bodily sensations or the thoughts the emotions take over so that's kind of the human experience right is how we how we learn to be in conversation with our sensations emotions feelings thoughts and how we respond or react to those some days we do better than others yeah and not I guess not to berate yourself and I would imagine the same thing as a parent right some days we can welcome out uh, I don't have children but some days we we're able to be with a tantruming three-year-old better than other days yeah um if you had sleep for instance (laughs) 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 probably not had sleep um okay so but all like the kind of the common theme is the breath work and the meditation because that's allowed you that practice has allowed you to be sort of a strong free diver because it is uh working with the breath hmm. yeah that's a statement <laughs> yeah that is yeah um for sure like everything everything i mean this is a bit of a kind of a, a fortune cookie cliche right everything can be a teacher um but and sure when i notice when i'm like yoga and pranayama and meditation and breath work for example are practices that help me they have an architecture to them which enable me to be more conscious with how i'm breathing and my breath holds and how my body feels um and they're great practices they're essential practices for me and then i take that practice into my relationships into my relationship with my family into my relationship with my intimate partner into my relationship with my colleagues at work and I increasingly notice all the times where I lose those practices where I'm in some kind of conflict and I'm holding my breath or I'm tensing up or like I'm hardening up I feel myself go into posture or or fight or flight or you know my nervous system's adjusting and then increasingly I hope I have can bring more consciousness to it and more awareness to it and go ah like something happened I've, I got into some conflict, my body tightened up, I got a bit protected on the front of my body, like clenched my jaws, held my breath a bit. Oh, I need to I need to step away, I need to do some relaxation, some movements and breath work and, and resource myself and kind of support my body in moving from sympathetic to parasympathetic, from fight or flight back into a kind of a restful um, nervous system response and then go back into those places where um there was maybe conflict before and that so we've got all these practices whether they're yoga breathwork meditation then we've got life which tests our the level of our practice well, and there's no way you know this is what so there you go. i was just thinking that if you i think both of us we both like try new uh you know sort of ventures or new ideas and we'll try try and realize them against the odds um because we're kind of interested in like seeing something happen that like didn't exist before maybe uh Mm -hmm. but what 
the, the sort of the occupational hazard of that is a lot of stress and mm. and in some ways this is you know i i personally i have to learn how to relax mm. uh because i get really excited but then i get really annoyed as well <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh my fuck why am i so annoying i'm living the dream mm. <laughs> I'm, nobody told me to do this this is my choice and yeah mm -hmm. so I, I definitely need to come on to your come to your retreat and kind of you know, grow that side of my, uh, or learn that way of being. Because um, I know that I will always be drawn towards kind of situations which are not uh, sort of conventional, I guess. So mm -hmm. I'm not prepared. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So mm. definitely. Well, like, these, all of these techniques, Bushra, are, I mean, they're transferable skills, you know. So on the one hand, getting good at free diving means that we can free dive more but these these skills are so transferable to the rest of life and um and yeah i think the capacity to have big impact and for those of us that want to kind of change the world or bring new things into the world like you're saying and most of us do have a an urge to do that on some level um whether it's micro or macro like we have to sit in the discomfort, right? The tall poppy thing. We have to, we have to get out there and speak our truths and be vulnerable and share what's going on for us with the world and risk being laughed at, being ridiculed, being shown we're wrong, being told we're wrong, being you know all of these things. So there's like the experience of life is stressful and vulnerable and risky if we put ourselves out there. I tell you is, what, Drew. I've tried to be. In I have tried so hard to be anonymous, but it's like it's not in my nature. <laughs> right. Well, it also isn't like isn't in anyone's nature. I mean, that's part yeah. of the one of the paradoxes is the desire to grow and be out there and be integrated, and the desire to stay safe. And you know, from a very young age, these are some of the primary factors. A, a newborn, or a, you know, a, in the first years of our life, are we safe and resourced, and can we explore an adventure? And you know, anyone, I mean, we're in the middle of this, uh, you know, and uh, right now this kind of uh, change of Tory leadership and so on. I mean, without getting anywhere near, I was oh, going to say anywhere near politics, God, but with yeah. some of these characters, some of these personalities that we're seeing in the world, as we always have done, whether they're politicians or heads of business or musicians or so on, to a certain extent, they've cultivated the capacity to, to be with discomfort or they've yeah. cultivated the ability to numb the fuck out from discomfort. So it's, you know, some, some people with this, who have this big energy, just use drugs and sex and um, all the, diff all the different products to numb out from the sensations, but others, you have to be able to hold a lot of sensation. If your face is on all the newspapers around the planet and you've got millions of people sending their energy, their attention, their focus to you, you know, you're feeling that in your nervous system, right? No wonder so many of the like of the bigger people, of the people who's who are who are receiving the focus of many hundreds or thousands or millions of people, go off the rails or blow a fuse because our nervous systems, like it's as if we're you know, I believe our nervous systems are have the capacity to hold a huge amount of charge of bioelectric energy. Can I say, I'll say something? Did you? Just, have you I'm just going to finish this point, okay, yeah. I, I think our nervous systems are, we have the capacity to entrain our nervous systems to hold a huge amount of energy, but we're not taught those skills 
uh, from birth. So for a number of us, we're trying to run more energy through our nervous systems than we have the capacity when we, than we've entrained ourselves to hold. So it's like trying to put 12 amps through a three amp fuse and we blow our nervous systems a lot. So good practice, as far as I can see, is building sustainably over days, months and years and decades, the capacity to hold more and more charge again without blowing our fuses and blowing our fuses might mean you know going off into some numbing out behavior or addiction or sex or porn or drugs or shopping and so on so again all these practices we're talking about are ways of sustainably hopefully sustainably building the capacity to hold more charge um so i was gonna what was i gonna say yeah uh totally um so we were talking about psychedelics as well Yes. Is that is that not another way of escape, or is it actually in your in your practice as therapeutic? Well, I I mean I work for an organisation called Alalaho, which um, runs uh, psilocybin-based retreats in or retreats in the Netherlands, which uh, use psilocybin as a as a means of meeting increasing sensation in the body, and um, and cultivating the capacity to be with sensation. I have a I have a pretty positive relationship with certain what we may call plant medicines, although mushrooms aren't plants, or certain drugs. Um, and you know, for many thousands of years, perhaps longer, millions of years, um, you know, psych plant medicines have been used as sacraments and physical medicine. And there's a um, and recreation uh, in human societies. And um, there's a lot of evidence, increasingly peer-reviewed scientific evidence, that uh, certain certain drugs now have a, have a really strong um, uh, benefit, health benefit, psychological benefit for human consumption. So, for example, Ibogaine, which is an extract of Iboga, is being used to work with um, opiate addiction. Psilocybin is being used... Um, therapeutically now to work with anxiety depression reorientating uh how we um how we psychologically relate to the the lived human experience and uh and the uh our impending deaths um ketamine is being used in depression and anxiety and so there's a lot of um uh, thank god an increasing body of evidence uh and teachings to offer working with medicines for greater sense of well-being, uh, greater health, mental health issues, and a seemingly a greater capacity to lean into this experience of life without um, some of the like some of the psychological affected disorders of anxiety, depression, and so on. So um, with the um, company in the Netherlands, uh, so is it sort of more like a, a kind of a medical clinic? Is it under that? No, most no, it's not. It's a um, it's a kind of a uh, a um sacred recreational experience. It's a like it's okay. a held uh, experience. But most of the people that work within um the staff there are also working within a a medical or a scientific um area, but outside of the remit of this particular organisation. So you and with the retreat, uh, is it in nature? Uh, the the centres that we use are retreat centres in the um in the countryside of uh, of South Holland. Okay, and it's because the laws are more relaxed. There? It's because psilocybin's legal in Holland. It's not in the UK. Okay. 
so the so that experience the psychedelic experience is one of like leaning into sensations leaning into discomfort often in my experience and the experience of others when we take a large dose of psilocybin for example that it can be it can invite uh discomfort in the body there's also a mental um experience of of letting go and the the fear that can come from being asked to let go and trying to control and as the psychedelic experience comes on it can it can be uncomfortable psychologically uh, somatically and has us be invited much like the free dive experience into relaxing into the sensations letting go of the sensations noticing the thoughts that come up realizing that they're just thoughts that they mm -hmm. you know they can be released they can be dissolved and increasingly as we do this in my experience and others we can relax into what's emerging in in our experience and have some very very beautiful present moment connections with things that become described as god or source or nature or oneness or a non-dual experience or and so on so you know to that extent psychedelics point in the similar direction that various other things point to such as meditation and free diving and really great sex and um and playing a sport or getting into a, a flow state or, or a particular no mind experience in in a number of different lineages uh okay cool so you're kind of um this is quite it's going to be quite a controversial question drew oh do yummy you, <laughs> do you think um like finding these transformative ways to connect with yourself you know and, and kind of looking at all exploring all different avenues that's your hit mm, my hit hmm. um i have in my life headed towards peak experience a lot um if for the last 10 years or so i've tended back towards more gentle softer experiences but sure i am um, i enjoy dopamine where i where i where it feels like i can find it in such ways it's uh it's supporting my capacity to be a uh more integrated human living a more integrated experience like when i was younger i was doing uh like doing a lot of behaviors that gave me big hits like i was very sexual i was having a lot of orgasms in my sex i was taking pills in clubs i was you know uh, riding fast motorbikes fast um jumping out of airplanes all the kind of the cliched stuff and having very big peaks and very big crashes and um including a couple of burnouts and in the last 10 years or so i've uh, increasingly got into behaviors that still have a strong sensation in them but in a much like they have a much longer on ramp and a much longer tail and they seem to give me less crashes on the other side and have a like seemingly a more they seem to be of more use of me being able to be more present when i sit on my own without any drugs without any mushrooms without any amazing tantric sex or great free diving depths when i'm just sitting on a bench um in my local park i feel much happier and or when i'm sat at my desk or when i'm sat with my 
uh, with my parent or with uh, in an intimate partner where normally or previously I may be having an experience where my body would be in conflict or I'd tense up or I'd fight or my head would go into weird spaces. My life feels much, much more easeful, much more relaxed, much more satisfied. And I feel like I've got a great deal more capacity to be in life than I ever did when I was running around trying to have these previously big experiences or what I would have described as hits, even though I still use strong practices, which I think is what you may be alluding to when you say hits here. I still use strong practices as places to to test and train my capacity to hold sensation. And I don't always get it right. And half the time I probably get it wrong and I still blow out and you know, and life will continue to be a practice for you know, for all of us until it's no longer. I have to say, you do, you know, like, you know, obviously I know you quite well, but I haven't seen you in, in a long time. Um, you do come across as, like, really happy. Hmm. <laughs> mm. I'm much happier. Good. Um, so <laughs> we, don't, we don't really have much time, but um, do you want to talk about regenerative crypto? Or not, did you say? Oh, you wanted to talk about Eros, didn't you? And we didn't even... Well, I did mention amazing tantric sex a couple of times. <laughs> but can and I just... Me... Yeah. Like, tantra, tantra isn't always connected to sex. Is this correct? No, it's to that's totally correct, B. I mean, traditional Buddhist and Hindu tantra is has very little to do with sex. Um, but it does have quite a lot to do with Eros, as, as I and some others define it. And um, Eros but, uh, is uh, the uh, erotic uh, love god? Greek god? Uh, yes, Eros and uh, Thanos, or Thanatos, excuse me, love and death, or life and death. Um, okay. So all the things we've been talking about uh, on this, uh, on this, whatever this is, um, are, uh, are kind of tantric practices, like as I understand Tantra, and I'm not saying I, you know, I totally get it, but the capacity to be with sensations in the body and have a present moment experience without uh, mind uh, labeling, boxing, assuming as much as possible. So being in the present moment in a relaxed uh, parasympathetic way feels like, um, and then being able to conduct that sensation, that bioelectrical energy um, in the body feels to me to be like what Tantra is all about. Um, and then, you know, it did have like one of the greatest ways to feel sensation in the body is to work with intimate relating is to work with sexual practice as just as is the ordeal you've got the, the bliss part bliss path and the ordeal paths and um and then you know some there was a particular intersection of um some europeans and westerners who traveled to india and uh the himalaya and kashmir and brought back you know and they were fascinated by the some of the sexual practices they saw and then Osho came over with and uh, mixed a lot of his practices with Wilhelm Reich's uh, emergent bioenergetics and uh, the human potential movement and EST and so on, and created this kind of like what what is called Neo-Tantra now in the West. Um, but uh, but I have worked a lot in my life with, with Eros. And for me, I use Eros to define kind of like life force energy and you know much mm -hmm. more something like prana in yoga or chi in traditional chinese um uh, practice or um or even the force for anyone that's watched star wars 
um, and more, way more so than I talk about eros as um, a sexual energy. And I also include sexual energy in that. Um, and I think it's, I think it's useful. That has been useful in my life, and I think it's useful for a lot of us because there's so much shame and for whatever reasons. I was, you know, was going to say, I, I really like the fact that you can talk about sexual energy and sex without it being sort of fetishized necessarily mm. Mm. and without taboo. And I'm not saying, oh, it makes us oh so bloody mature, but actually it's just like, it's okay just to talk about it like normal. Yeah, I think it, I think it has to be okay. And this is, um, so thank you, Busher, for that reflection. There's this is really, I guess, the the crux of it all for me is that for whatever reasons, whether it's um, I don't know what if it's chicken and egg, but whether it's religion or whether it's just human nature or something around the the fall from the garden, or whether it's a power play by corporations or the Masons or whoever it is that for some reason like we've been our society cuts us off from our life force energy. And like there's the sexual areas of the body down in the genitals and in the lower body and in the, you know, the Hindu system or the uh, the Hatha Yoga Tantra system. They'll talk about um, the ba the lower chakras and Svadhisthana, the second chakra being the sexual chakra. But this these tensions and these closures in the base of the body that a lot of shame around our sexuality. I mean, like the bad nappy training, bad bad um, practices around wearing nappies, prostates and like male male pleasure and prostates like not being allowed to feel pleasure for many of us because of shame and does it make me this or is it okay I think, to feel I think that's what there? it is so much of it is is like shrouded in shame isn't it so and so wherever the shame yeah. came, comes from it exists for many of us and it clenches yeah. the base of our body and it inhibits the flow of life force energy through our body and it has us cut off from the earth and it has us like in a kind of a lack, a scarcity around energy. So we go out and we have to addict to other products, caffeine, shopping, chocolate, food, drink, drugs, in order to get this energy because we're, we're clenched at the base of our body and unable to feel the eros energy of life and the planet coming through our body. And so by doing sexual tantric practice, and I am talking about neo-tantric and sexual practices now, by unfetishizing sexuality by being as groovy as we can on hey we're sexual beings and allowing the base of our body to relax to release the fantasies to to just open and soften and allow eros life force energy including sexual energy to, energy to flow through our body consume so much we no longer live in such a scarcity mentality of where am i going to get my energy from i'm exhausted i need a coffee i need a chocolate i need a sex i need porn i need shoes a car we can be plugged back into the energy of the planet and so we consume less and the and our shame dissolves my shame has certainly dissolved to a great extent i'm not saying it's all gone and i can talk much more freely about sexuality i don't have so many fantasies i don't have so many kinks and i'm not kink shaming i've had a great wonderful life in the fetish and conscious kink world in my life but it's it just everything becomes more integrated and it feels like my own batteries are plugged plugged back into the earth and I'm no longer having to be so scarce and resource managing in my energy as it just flows more freely through me. That's and um, I think I think getting getting clear with our sexual eros is a key part of that, which is why I'm involved in this organization, Ritual Eros and other um, 
other sex positive organizations and practices um, as well as the yoga and the freediving perfect um so we've only got a few minutes left and i've uh, got a few listeners and also jared would does anybody want to ask anything oh hi folks I find this this conversation super super interesting. I, I, I mean, I, I have lots of questions, but um, probably not in the time that we can actually <laughs> get it done. But I, I appreciate you very much coming on and, and, and speaking about this and lending this perspective. I do find it very interesting um, when you were talking about the free diving specifically, uh, mm. kind of suppressing, if you will, maybe the fears, maybe the the, the natural fears that you have, and. Um, and, and coming to terms with that and being able to allow yourself to, to, for lack of a better phrase, maybe dig deeper type of thing. I, mm. I find that very interesting. Mm, yeah. Thank you, Jared. It is. Um, yeah, it, it is. Um, it's, it feels like, I mean, you said suppressing there and it's, it's, it's similar, but it feels like just a kind of an accepting, like noticing it and, and just allowing it and it arises and passes away. And there is, so there is a kind of a, a the, the kind of the more I turn towards it or the more we turn towards those fears and see them, but without giving them energy, they just, you know, they kind of dissolve and then we can just drop through it. And the same seems to be true. The same practice seems to work with fears that come up in relating, in work, in business, in, uh, in all areas of life. But the free dive place is a particularly uh, clear dojo for that experience. Thank you for that. I appreciate that reflection. Brilliant. Um, so do you want to, I can, well, I can retweet your re retreat, retweet oh. retreats. I try and say yes. that quickly. <laughs> but also, also feel free to tweet me any questions afterwards and, you know, be in touch in any way that you're able to. You're very welcome. If any of this has, uh, has um, initiated some curiosities for you. Yeah, thanks so much, Drew. It's so it's so nice to uh, reconnect and um, hopefully see you on the retreat in the beautiful island of. Is it called Viz, right? Yes, it is in Croatia, and um, yeah, we have a bunch a bunch of things coming up. We've got um, Iboga and psilocybin um, retreats coming up. We've got some erotic practices in London coming up. We've got a uh, free diving in Croatia, tantric free diving in Croatia, and loads of things in the in the future. Um, and Bushra, thank you for having me on. Jared, thank you for hosting me. And um, and folks, thank you for listening. Um, and yeah, feel free to be in touch. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye for now. Bye.